0: Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible or on the bulletin, um, or it'll be on the screen as well, to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. And we started just a four-week series last week. So last week we were in Jonah chapter 1. Today we're in Jonah chapter 2. And we're calling this series, The Making of Ambassadors. The Making of Ambassadors. And, and maybe another way to say that would be ambassadors in the making. Ambassadors in the making. And, and what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Jonah, his call, what God has done in his life, And we're trying to figure out what can we glean about our call as ambassadors of Almighty God, ambassadors for Him. And so last week, you remember PT brought a powerful word, amen? Do you remember what it was called? Oh, you didn't know there was going to be homework today, did you? (laughs) It was the resistant ambassador, that's right, the resistant ambassador. And we saw that God not only calls, but He also chases. He chases, He chased down Jonah, right? And this week, what we're going to see, or, or really ask the question, well, what happens when God catches Jonah? What happens when God catches us? What happens when Jonah is caught? So if you're there, uh, we're at Jonah 2, it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along as I read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. This is God's word. Uh, Let's open our time together in prayer. Merciful Father, we are so grateful to come to your word today. We know that we need to hear from you. We need your word to impact our hearts, our minds, our lives, Lord. And so now we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds to understand, but it wouldn't just stay at understanding that we would be transformed in the ways that we live in our communities, in our workplace, in our families, in all the ways that we have influence in this world. Lord, do your work now, and we know that this is in the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I heard a story. Uh, about an OG professor, like like the old head, the main man uh, professor who was giving a lecture to uh, all the young heads, right, all these young guys. And this was some time ago, so those young guys are now old heads now. Um, and this was the man, this was the professor, the dude that everyone wanted to learn from. And uh, he was given one of these lectures or these seminars, and uh, a lot of times what you'll find is after the, the, the teaching time is officially over, some cats will like hang out. They want to ask a few questions. They want to follow up a little bit more uh, with the professor, with the man that, that has taught so many theologians that, that have influenced many of us, uh, even in this room today. And so they had gone through the lecture. They had gone through the course, and, uh, and they're sitting around, and they're just chewing the fat, chopping it up, asking them questions. And one of the questions came to the OG, the, the, the old professor, the main man. They said, if you could summarize... The whole Bible in one verse, what would it be? And the story is that he kind of, you know, laid back, maybe stroked his, his chin a little bit, and, and he thought, Jonah 2.9. Jonah 2.9. And and the young guys were like, Jonah 2-9, what? Like, what are you talking about? They're thinking maybe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, or maybe John 3.16, or something like that. Uh Jonah 2.9, what is that? And so they foot there and they came to these words. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And if kids, if you're coloring, that's, that's what your verse is right there on your sheet. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, that had such an impact on this professor, this pastor, this doctor of ministry and theology. But what does that mean for us? Well, if I could put it in, in somewhat of layman's terms and everyday vernacular, it would be that rescue... Emancipation, freedom in this life and the life to come is the domain, the dominion, the territory of God and God alone. Rescue, freedom in this life and the next is the territory. God has ownership, claim to it alone. And so we've already said a bit earlier, we talked about how we are looking to the book of Jonah to uh, understand what it means to be ambassadors and how to uh, live out the call that God has put on our lives. And so let me just ask you, what does it mean to be an ambassador? What does that mean to you? Hide that. Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. There we go. Appreciate you. So um, many of you know that, that Grace and I, my wife Grace and I, we're foster parents And in order to stay up with um, all of our licensure, in order to continue to be foster parents, we have to go through classes and training and this lesson and that lesson. Uh, And I've been very behind, actually. And so I've been trying to catch up real fast. And fortunately, the state will allow you to read outside material that's related to parenting and count those if you do a book report. How many of you remember doing book reports in high school? Or, yeah, so I, I, I've been doing lots of book reports lately in order to get caught up with my hours. And one of the books that I've been reading is called Parenting uh, by Paul David Tripp. Parenting by Paul David Tripp. It's a great book if you want gospel centered parenting, just a bug in your ear that that's not what this is about. But what he proclaims right from the jump, right from page one or maybe page two, is that parenting is about being an ambassador for Almighty God to your kids. And so in order to communicate that well to us, he breaks down this definition of what an ambassador is. And I think it's helpful for us today. An ambassador faithfully represents the message, method, and character of the one who sent him. He is not free to think or speak or act independently. Everything he does, every decision he makes, every interaction he has must be shaped by this one question. What is the will and plan of the one who sent me? The ambassador does not represent his own interest or perspective or even his own power. Everything he does is on behalf of the one sending. It's all for another and... If he's not doing that, he has forgotten who he is. Now, holding that in mind, holding this criteria in mind that everything he does, every decision he makes, every uh, interaction must be shaped by that question. What is the will and plan of the one who sent me? How is Jonah doing? How's Jonah doing as an ambassador to this point? I got some head shaking, not not well, right? He's fled, he's gone in the complete opposite direction. That's what we saw last week with PT. So Jonah, in a sense, has forgotten who he is as God's ambassador. But now, what about us? If you run your life, your activity as God's agent, your work as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you run that through some of those uh, 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 criteria, You faithfully represent the message, the method, and the character of the one who sent you. You're not free to think or speak or act independently. Your decisions, everything you do, every interaction goes through that question of what is the will and plan of the one who sent me. How we doing? How we doing, church? Woo, I got a lot more heads shaking. So we can identify with Jonah in a sense, amen? Now, what we're going to see, we've already said it, is that salvation belongs to the Lord. And since that's true, since salvation belongs to the Lord, since uh, rescue in this life and the next is the dominion of God, the territory of God Almighty, since that's true, the ambassador, for the ambassador, if we despair, it's grace. If we despair, it's grace. If we're prepared, if we've been prepared, it's grace. And if we get provisional care, it's grace. You guys like like my little rhyme scheme? Is that all right? All right. I'm, I'm trying to work on it. So we'll use these points, these ideas to guide us for our time. Amen? Is that all right, church? You guys are kind of quiet on me now. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good, church. All right. So our first point, since salvation belongs to the Lord, to despair is grace. And maybe some of you are looking at me side-eyed, like to despair is grace. Despair, how could that be? Why why would despair be God's grace? Well, look look back at the passage. In verse 2, Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my joy. No, out of my happiness, out of my good pleasure. I called out to God because everything was Gucci, everything was good. No. Right. What does it say? I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Listen, whatever, whatever causes you to call out to God ultimately is grace. It's grace. It's God's grace. Look, what did it take for Jonah to finally call out to God? Well, this passage shows us it's a lot, like a lot, a lot. Follow along as we walk through some of these things. Verse two he says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. What, what is Sheol? What, is that, what does that even mean? It, it's pointing to eternal separation from God. It's pointing to the, the place where God wouldn't go. It's pointing to this, this, this deep, dark, awful place. And what it is, is a physical representation of a spiritual reality that he's experiencing. This downward spiral. He's all the way down bad right now. Verse three, he says, "For you, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, the heart of the seas being like the lowest point. I am driven away from your sight." Verse five, "The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head as root as the roots of the mountain. This idea of like just being uh, uh, hit with water, hit with, with wave after wave, as you're trying to get air being wrapped up in weeds. He said he went down to the land, that would be the lowest point, whose bars closed over me forever. Verse seven, he says his life is fainting away. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this terrible circumstance that Jonah has experienced? If a disparaging circumstance causes us to rely on God, In a sense, he has already revealed his grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul would write the church of Corinth and he would say these words. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Maybe somebody felt like that before. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves Let's say that again. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Maybe an easier way to say this would be from uh, the theologian, the famous theologian, the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon would say, I thank my God For every storm that has wrecked me upon the rock, Jesus Christ. I thank my God that for for every storm that has wrecked me upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And so what this means practically for us is to reclaim our despair by using it as a driving force to cry out to God. That's what we did earlier in the time of prayer, right? Like these hard times, these hard situations. Let that be a motivator to turn you, just as it does Jonah, to cry out to God in the bad situation. We call out to the Lord out of our distress. Why? Because he answers us. Verse 2. It says, he answered me. Verse 2 later, it says, you heard my voice. Verse 7, it says, my prayer came to you. What keeps you from calling out to God? What are the things that prevent you from crying out to Him with all the mess, with all the pain, with all the hard circumstances? I I remember uh, years ago I had seen um, uh, a a journalist, uh, I think it was 60 Minutes or something like that, and they had entered a war-torn country. Um, They were going and reporting on the aftermath of of really what a lot of what looks like Ukraine and, and that circumstance right now. And so they went and saw the debris, they saw the rubble, they went and interviewed people that had experienced the shelling and the bombs, and they went from place to place. But the hardest part in the whole telecast was the last place that they went. They walked into an orphanage, and, and it was hard to put my finger on why it was so eerie until the narrator pointed it out. You had all these kids with big eyes, just sitting in cribs, kind of shaking themselves, looking, laying down, looking, just looking. And the narrator let us know why this was so awkward, why it was stirring up such emotions in me. It's because it was just dead silent. It was eerily quiet that all these little ones would just be rocking themselves looking without crying out. The narrator went on to say that the reason why they wouldn't cry out is because those cries went unanswered for so long that the babies just stopped crying. They stopped trying because no one would come. Maybe some of us have that view of God today. You've cried out again and again and again, and yet you don't feel like anyone's answering, and you, you, you stop crying out. Can I tell you about the Lord Jesus? Can I tell you about Almighty God, the, the, the true God, the Father, about sonship, about how He answers us? I mentioned earlier that we're foster parents and, and we got a little two-month-old DJ. Shout-out to Caroline in the back. She's holding on to DJ. He's two months old. And each and every time he cries, my wife gets up. It could be 2 in the afternoon or 2 in the morning, and she gets up. It could be a diaper problem. It could be gas. It could be a bottle. She gets up. It could be he's uncomfortable. He just needs to be talked to. He just need, needs to be rocked. 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, she gets up. How much more does your father get up to listen to you? And maybe you're saying, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. What's the assurance that I have? Maybe you feel a little bit more like verse 4 when it says, I'm driven away from your sight. Maybe that's how you feel. And I see that as an echo of Eden. You remember in the Garden of Eden that after they disobeyed God, they would be driven out, right? They would be driven out of his sight. What's my assurance that God hears me in my distress? When well, we look to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross would cry out, this is the only time that Jesus wouldn't call Almighty God Father. The only time. And he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The forsakenness that we should feel was paid for in full by Jesus Christ. The perfect man lived the life that we should have lived, and he gets the consequence that we deserve so that we can have access to God every time we call. You hear me, church? Every time we call, you will never be ignored. You will never be ignored. Even if you don't feel like you're hearing right away, in God's grand scheme, you can trust, based on what happened with Jesus Christ, that he hears you. He cares for you. And so, when we call out to God, in a sense, despair is a grace when it turns us back to cry out to our good Father. That's our first point today. Our second point is, since salvation belongs to the Lord, since this rescue of li- in this life and in the next is God's dominion and ter- territory, since that is true, to prepare is grace. Since salvation belongs to the Lord, to prepare is grace. Maybe you're asking, how is Jonah prepared? All he's done is run away. How, how do we see any preparation in this passage, well, let, we got to squint a little bit. Are you guys gonna walk with me here? Um, what's a genre? When you think of a genre, what what is that? So often I'll think of music, right, like the, the, the genre of hip-hop or soul or funk or jazz or classical. There's all these different types of music. It's all music, but there's certain signatures, there's certain melodies, there's certain rhythm patterns, there's stylistic things that point to these different genres. And the same is true in literature, right? Like, like the Word of God, in a sense, is literature, right? And so up until this point with Pastor Thurman last week, it was prose, So that means it's a narrative, it's just telling a story. But what the translator has tried to clue you in on and clue us in on is through the margins. And so if you're looking at the passage, there's all this white space, excuse me, on the sides, and that's to communicate to you, this is not narrating, this is not just a normal prose, this is poetry. What does it look like? It looks like a Psalm, right? It looks like if you open the Psalms, this is exactly the style that it's written in. And so, in a sense, Jonah's upbringing in learning and being trained in the Psalms has prepared him for this very moment at this time. And we can even see that with the the language he uses. In verse 9, we've said it, it's the kid's verse. It says, salvation belongs uh, to the Lord. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 3. Or if you look at verse three when it says you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me all your waves and your billows passed over me that's a direct quote from psalm 42 and scholars have pointed to all these different allusions elsewhere whether it's psalm 18 31 50 88 or 120 essentially what jonah is doing is taking all those songs that he grew up singing all those words that he grew up repeating at the temple, all those psalms that they had to memorize, he's taking all those things that were head knowledge before, that he understood as he sang them out before, but now in this experience, it hits him in the heart, and he's recapitulating those things to express his feeling. The, the word of God has gone before him and is preparing him for this very moment. It, it reminds me of sampling in hip-hop. Now, I know I'm going to lose some of you all with this, So, I'm going to call Jonah, Kanye Jonah West, okay? Uh, Somebody said, that's blasphemy. Be careful. Watch what you're doing. I'll be careful. So, essentially, what what, uh, Kanye West would do, he, he grew up with soul and funk and gospel in his house, and his parents and his family would play these records, his grandma would play these records, and then when it was his time to become a composer, produce beats, what he would do is he would take snippets of those old songs and adjust them just a little bit, change them, speed them up, slow it down, change it a little bit to create something new, to make it his own. And what is doing here is he's taking the vocabulary of the Psalms because he's been singing them his whole life. Uh, man, I, I guess all my illustrations today have to do with being a foster parent, so here we go again. Um, in two, I think it was 2006, Uh, My wife and I, that's when we started, that's when we became foster parents. And our our very first shorty, man, he he was awesome. He is awesome uh, to this day. And uh, and we just love him so much. Uh, He was a little bit behind in terms of the developmental markers that you would want to make. And so uh, a, a wonderful organization called First Steps provided occupational therapy and physical therapy free of charge to us. And so what I would do is I would meet with the occupational therapist and the physical therapist, and they would give us strategies in order to get little man back on track. Like if he, if he gets to this point by two, everything will be Gucci, right? Everything will be good. He'll be right back on track. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. And so the occupational therapist would communicate that, that he needs to be talked to. He needs to be spoken to, and you should be using the language that any normal parent would use and I would say, Oh, okay. And she said, So, say, 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 daddy, say, da, da to him. I was like, oh, Wait, what? Like, I'm a foster parent. I don't know. She said, No, no. Use the language that a baby would learn: Baba, daddy, mama, you know, all that stuff. I was like, All right, I'm all in. Coach shape. Let's make this happen. We're going to help this little guy. And so, uh, every time I would toss him up in the air, I'm on, Dad, 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 <laughs> nothing back. And we would go to the swings at Forest Park or wherever you go for swings, and I would push him from the front, and I'd be like, Dad, 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 Dad. He would just smile and laugh. And I'd be feeding him. I'm cutting up bananas and, and blueberries and tiny little things. I'm talking about, Dad, 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 Dad. He's still just looking at me, smiling. He's got nothing, nothing for me at that time. Finally, it was the day I was changing his diaper, and I was playing peekaboo behind the diaper, talking about, Dad, 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 Dad. And finally, he looked back up at me with a smile and he said, Dad, dad. Oh. And my heart melted, my he- heart burst. But what was happening was my words were going before him until he was ready in the pro- appropriate moment in time when he was ready to say it back. This is exactly what has happened to Jonah. The word of God has gone before him until the time is right for him to declare the goodness of God. Uh can I step on your toes, please? Thank you. Just, just for a second. Can, listen, if, if spiritual disciplines that we do, when they go before us, uh, they are a preparing grace. And, and can I just propose to you that if and when you only go, the, go to house church when you have an emotional need, you are missing out on a preparing grace. I just, I just want to propose that, that if, if you only come to church on the days when you feel like it, or you feel like seeing people, or you feel like being seen by people, you're missing out on all those days when you didn't feel like it, but there was preparing grace there. On those days when we don't want to volunteer, or we would only volunteer for something that would give us something back, a padding on the resume, or a scratch on the back, a pat on the back that would make us feel good, we are missing out on a preparing grace. Noah built the ark when the sky was still clear. Amen? All right, I won't step on your toes too much more. Now, to be clear, coming to church does not earn your salvation. Going to house church, a small group, does not earn your salvation. It doesn't knock you up or or, or move you up any higher, anything like that. It is a response to the grace that you have been given. It is a preparing grace. And so, if you want that preparing grace, what do we do? Verse 4 says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Be prepared in the holy temple. You know, sing those songs. Memorize those songs. Become part of the worship team, because it gets ingrained in your memory so that when you go through that bad situation, you got that on deck. Come to house church. Be committed to your house church. He says yet, in verse 4, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And here's a preparation that goes forward. This is a preparing that would go before him. We just sang, I'm going to praise you in advance. Amen? I'm going to praise you in advance that there's something good and right about even if you're in a bad circumstance in this moment, a hard circumstance in this moment, that there is a preparing grace that you can still praise God for what he is going to do. Amen? All right, I got to go quick. Uh, Third point, salvation belongs to the Lord. Provisional care is grace. Since salvation belongs to the Lord, provisional care is grace. This is our third point. The Lord has made provision for Jonah's rebellion. He has failed as an ambassador, and yet, in the passage, he has hope. He has failed. He has blown it completely. And yet he has hope. Look at verse 7. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but the inverse would be true as well. But I, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to you to the Lord. He's failed as an ambassador, and he has hope because he remembers the temple, he remembers the sacrifice, he remembers the Lord. What is the temple? It's the tangible presence, it's the material presence, it's the uh, uh, communicative, if I could say it like that, presence of God. And the only way that humanity gets to be part of that, to commune with God, to be part of that temple, is through his steadfast love, demonstrated in the way that he has made provision for Jonah through a sacrifice. You can't walk up in there unless blood is shed. Amen? You cannot go in there unless blood is shed. And so he knows that God has made a way for him to enter into his presence. And so he looks to the sacrifice. You know, what they would do is in the tabernacle that holds the Ten Commandments would have uh, 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 the mercy seat of God sitting upon it and they would throw blood at that place in order to be cleansed, in order to be set free, in order to be rescued, in order to find salvation. And so what Jonah has done here is put his faith in the one who can truly rescue in this life and the next. The thing that should have driven him insane actually brought him back to his senses. The thing that should have made him forget about God actually caused him to remember God. The thing that should have killed him actually became the way that he gets life. What should be certain death is the very means by which God brings salvation and life to Jonah and to you and me. How so? Well, God hasn't just made a way for Jonah. Amen, church? God hasn't just made a way for Jonah. He's made a way for you and for me. He's made a way for us to have his presence. He's made a way for us to be forgiven. And in his provisional care, that grace that he gives us, we get to remember the greater Jonah. We get to have faith in the greater Jonah to put our confidence and hope in the greater Jonah, the greater ambassador. See, Jesus didn't have to go to the temple to experience God's presence. He is the presence of God incarnate. He didn't have to uh, go to the point of his life fading away. He offered his life as a sacrifice and died. He He didn't have to offer a sacrifice, but he became the sacrifice. He didn't have to make a payment. He became the payment on our behalf. He didn't have to rise from the pit like Jonah did. He rose from the grave on the third day. He didn't have to have a fish spit him out. Death itself spit him out. And in him, in Christ you get that same story that you can overcome death, sin, and the power of the evil one. God has made provision for you and for me. If you failed, if you failed like me as an ambassador, remember the provision that God has made for you. He has done all these things in your place. The Lord Jesus Christ is your provision. He is your sacrifice. He is the Lord's presence. And so salvation belongs to the Lord but he graciously offers it to us by faith in him. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening, and God bless.